Dear, dear listener, hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, A Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcasts, it's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write, write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you. In part two of this dialogue, we look at whether the transmission of hatred and war across generations is inevitable, and at what can be done to break this vicious cycle. Historically, we look at examples of warring nations that have reconciled. Personally, we look at the best attitudes and assumptions that each of us can hold to enable us to bear the suffering, hold the pain, and avoid extreme polarization and cultivate compassion despite the horrors. This is a powerful, painful, but crucially important dialogue. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. Let me, let me put something out there, and I don't know if I should say this right now, but anyway, I, I told people before you got here, I said, if I say anything really stupid, we can edit it, you know, so, but I, I was, I, you know, I'm preparing for this. I didn't know if I was going to be ready for it, you know, I didn't know if I was just going to be weeping and screaming and, you know, just really deeply feeling. And, and if I had anything to do, and I was like thinking about, you know, what, you know, what, what is Israel to do in this situation? You know, and you have Israel's not just another country. It's got thousands of years of history and karma and people's relationship with, you know, and ugh, it goes on and on. I could talk for about it for a long time, but I won't. And this is what came to me. It's like, justice, that's okay. Amen. And self-defense, that's okay. But not one drop of blood for revenge. And that's the difference. And I, I think that, that I pray that Israel can come from that higher perspective and that will show the difference between you and Hamas where they go out and target innocents and slaughter them in horrific ways just to generate fear and hatred and then they run back into their caves in one of the most populated areas in the world because they want innocents around them to die also so there can be more hatred. So not a, that was the came through not a drop of blood for vengeance. That that's a beautiful prayer. Quite naive. I'm sorry. Oh, absolutely. I know there will be vengeance. I'm sorry. You know, everybody's dropped uh, to uh, levels of. Uh, uh, how do you call that? I'm, I'm, I'm lo losing my Wilberian. 
but uh, we dropped from the green to blue to orange right from uh, post modernism uh, aspect and uh, aspirations and liberalism to super ethnocentric they're the enemy they should be killed that's what's really happening here it's quite scary hmm. makes sense it's quite scary I'm worried about the future of this area big time yes hmm. I don't really believe we can eliminate Hamas and I don't really believe we can eliminate Hamas from their Palestinian hearts and and Shakar it's Uh, as you said it's a it's a beautiful and noble aspiration John and just I think there are a lot of people who would agree and the reality is you're pointing out Shakar is yeah in the fog of war when the response is towards ethnocentrism and egocentrism and it's totally it's it's tragic and understandable at the same time and so much of what's happening feels both understandable and tragic tragic both yeah and not only in Israel I mean as I mentioned at the beginning the the partisanship in this country and around the world is is quite extraordinary I would not have expected the degree of extreme partisanship on both sides and the class the cultural clashes that are occurring here to emerge so quickly and so strongly but they are and and you know I've been thinking about it about how traditional forces use liberal and democratic and postmodern values to break the system we saw it in Israel before this war and Mm-hmm. how traditional forces are trying to do a constitutional ref- uh, reform and we can see it now with Hamas you know their their leaders outside of Gaza are calling for the UN to protect the the people they're saying we shouldn't protect the people the UN should protect the people you know they're using the liberal sensitivities to claim they're the same and that the world should take care of them the same way is taking care of Israel that's not right there's a it's like I, I feel like we've lost sense of what's right and wrong to some degree yes. in over liberalism and I'm I'm still looking at my blind spots and how I really want to believe that everybody wants to live happily quiet life and then something like this happens and I I, I still don't get it I don't really understand mm-hmm. how why I can understand why the Palestinians are so deep uh, oppressed and I can understand why they hate Israelis and I can understand what part we take in it but this took it to a whole new level that they're, they're killing their they knew this will happen to their own people what what is that I can't really I don't really get it yeah and yeah so much gets justified within the within the hatred that is spawned so much as seems justifiable yeah you know my, my my friends my liberal friends are so anxious and so 
when that how do you say that the one want vengeance mm-hmm. they do want not with not hurting their children nothing like that but but killing the Hamas all the fighters of the Hamas you know that's, that's what I'm talking about vengeance I'm not talking about killing their kids or their elders in no way and and I can see my wife my friends my parents wow there's no left wing anymore in Israel All gone mm-hmm. mm. Mm. that's quite a statement what's go what's the future of this place you know I'm worried as well you should be yeah I guess I hadn't thought of I thought of that as you said the left wing the disappearance of the left wing in this country it's been a feels like there's been a a any we're already been a very polar increasingly polarized society over the last couple of decades growing partly uh, for all sorts of reasons social media etc but this this has fed on and exacerbated the polarization in some ways yeah and green in the wilbarian sense the uh, postmodern they don't know how to deal with war You know, and, and it says in Ecclesiastes that there's a time for sowing, there's a time for reaping, there's a time for living, there's a time for dying, there's a time for peace, there's a time for love, and I'm probably adding a few things, but there's a time for war, you know. And uh, we ran into the same thing with Ukraine in the beginning. A lot of my, my progressive green friends, you know, they just kind of wanted Ukraine to say, okay, just roll over us, you know. And I, no, this is not a time of peace. This is a time of war. And, and I think the best thing you can do is realize why you're fighting and that you guys are sitting on a, a deep and ancient river of transcendental wisdom that you've been struggling with for thousands of years, you know, like, like nobody's business. And they're so under, underneath the, the insane politics of this, This time and the division there is a there's a source of wisdom and living water there that I think is gonna really help and take situation that looks absolutely to the rational straight mind impossible and somehow make it work out and that at least that's my prayer and I trust that river. Yeah, I used to live in Berkeley for seven years that's where we where we, we met and Berkeley is a perfect place for a guy like me it's just uh, being green is mainstream right it's like everybody <laughs> does yoga spiritual practice uh, psychotherapy and we left Berkeley back to Israel which shows that I closed a, a successful practice in in Auckland to move to Pardeshana which is in the periphery of Israel and Very weird decision, not logical at all. My friends asked me, why, why are you back? You were at the peak of the world, you know, for people like us. And I told them I'm back. Actually, I didn't. The reason I was back is because I felt it in my body that I should go back. That's, like, that's the real reason. But then if I try to explain it, this is my family. It's very dysfunctional, post-traumatic, whoa. 
And still, this is my family. And I choose to live in this dysfunctional, broken family. And on good moments, bring light. On bad moments, uh, really hate it. And, uh, you know, have a hard time. But yeah, this is life, real life. And uh, I believe I'm a believer like you. Uh, we Jewish people who are uh, experts in uh, grieving and resurrecting will we'll come out of this even stronger. Yeah. Well, may, it, may it be so. And it, it, uh, it's obviously there are enormous military and physical suffering, etc. But it's no, you know, the, what you're pointing, you're demonstrating for us is the enormity of the psychological work that's going to have to be done. Yeah. No. You know, there's uh, there's roughly 9 million people in Israel and 2.6 million in Gaza. How do you find a shrink for 12 million people? I don't know. Everybody needs therapy here. Yeah. Mm. This is very powerful and very beautiful, this word that comes to mind, Shakar, and it's a funny word, but there are a lot of funny words that come up in in this context. I think we can just flow, but I know I would like to bring up the question of uh, question of what is skillful skillful strategies or useful strategies or any things we can do one of the principles what can we do at this stage as the individuals we are and and what you possibly learn from couples whose relationships are hurting or falling apart what are the principles you you fall that you use there in other words to bring people back together in love you know yeah yeah can you imagine? Can you imagine if Palestinians and Israelis would love each other someday? I mean, you know, it's like. But are there any 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 grains of of seeds, you know, there that you know? I always I have that picture there. That's a German helmet from World War One and an American helmet from World War Two, and there's the Buddha, you know. And whoever thought after two world wars and all the bullshit and all the hatred we went through that Germany and the United States could be healed today? And the thought of invading Germany or Germany is just like, no, it's just no. And so anyway, that's my shrine to peace and that peace can happen. And even though, you know, in 1945, you'd say this and you'd everybody think, you you know, you, yeah, right. These, no, no, we'll never forgive these bastards, you know, or whatever that would be. Peace can happen. And, and, and historically, an incredibly short period of time. You know, and just, just a couple of generations, maybe. That That is quite amazing, because I'm worried about how the Palestinians, especially in Gaza, but also in the territories, they were taught to hate. Yeah. You know, the, the, that's what I meant, that it's going to be hard to take the Hamas out of their hearts. Yes. But watching the Germans and how they changed from being Nazis, well, maybe it's possible. Yeah. It does give some hope. And the Japanese, I might add, have, have turned it around, you know, and have, have become a very respected democratic system. And, you know, they were they were brutal in, in, the, in the day of World War II. And, and John, a couple of things. John, I just want to acknowledge the power of that symbol you're showing us. 
that those two helmets, a German helmet from World War One, American from World War Two, and the Buddha, and yes, that there has, there did come, in, as you say, in a surprisingly short historical period, a not only a, a reconciliation but a, a an alignment and a cooperation, and and I'm just thinking, well, how did that happen? One of the things that that America, you know, we have to give America some credit that that it instituted the Marshall Plan of enormous amount of aid and support for primarily Germany, but Japan also. I mean, incredible amounts of resources were flown into Japan to feed people who otherwise, as MacArthur warned, there'd be massive starvation. So there's an enormous amount of money and resources went into the into the feeding and the rehabilitation and the rebuilding of these countries. So, so there's a there's a powerful lesson there. And after World War One, France and and Britain just wanted to make Germany pay, you know, and and do vengeance on them economically and every other way. Well, how did that work out? You know, no. It gave rise to World War II and Nazism. So, and, and it was so unjust that America never signed the peace treaty. The president just said, fuck this, you know, we're not, you know, I can't put my, my country on this thing. And in 20 something years, World War I, part two, you know, with a vengeance. So those are some deep historical lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gives me some hope. Yeah, hope's a good thing. Yeah. Um so so Roger asked about what we, we should do these days. <laughs> well, what helps me is my practice. Working out is huge these days, really. There's so the body has so much stress that uh, working out like a high uh, intensity kind of workout I feel that's the most supportive thing I do for myself. It's not always easy to get myself doing it. So I've been able to do it three, three, four times a week. But uh, sometimes I'm so flooded, so numb. There's hardly anything I can do. And if I'm able to catch myself knowing that I'm numb, <laughs> I, I'm able to get myself to do like something small that will make me feel capable go water the the garden that's my favorite one or or do the dishes which is something that's relaxing for me as well and then after i do something small i i might or there's more chance i have some more uh, motivation to do something bigger um but honestly it doesn't work a lot of the time and sometimes i just watch nba and i try to be um compassionate towards the numbness as well I, because i'm a therapist I, i've been telling that to other people and I'm trying to listen to my advice and these mechanisms they have wisdom it's just too much it's just too much to feel so the the body mind kind of turns off and uh, thank god for that as well yeah listening to the advice i've given others saved my ass a number of times <laughs> Also, I try to talk to people. I notice that talking to people, even on the phone, you know, since we have smartphones, we don't talk on the phone anymore. Since they weren't talking on the phone to people, 
and I try to meet my friends. Not everybody is helpful. Some people are so anxious. It's, it's uh, actually activating. So there's some choice to make there. But, you know, I have a men's circle. We meet every other week. That's super resourcing. We did even an extra session on Zoom. We usually meet around the fire. But we did an extra session on Zoom because it's just really helpful to listen to others and feel others and people we're usually um, helping each other. What's the word? Um, yeah, helping each other. I forget the word I'm looking for. Mm. What else? Meditation helps to me a lot, but that's been my main practice. Um volunteering, there's a lot of volunteering happening right now in Israel, not just for therapists, also my parents, the, 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 the places around Gaza that are now, the people left them, they have fields, they're all farmers. So the fields need to be taken care of. So people are volunteering to go help the farmers. My, my parents are 76 and they went to do stuff with tomatoes and <laughs> so 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 that's very resourcing helping others and volunteering is very supportive sometimes crises can bring out bring out the best in us and uh i've, I've from from what i've heard from my ukrainian friends you know that amazing things have happened in ukraine people have come together and and that even the ptsd and, and one of my close friends is a psychologist who specializes in trauma, seems to be a lot less because you're, you're part of a group. You know, there's a purpose and there's a meaning and there's a family and there's a country and there's a something going on than if it's just something randomly happened that it seems to help people get through it a lot, right. a lot better. Trauma always feels like you're alone. Even if there's people around you, you feel like you're alone and helpless. And Israelis are really good at coming together. So we actually have usually less PTSD than what we should have had. And I can see it right now happening. People, even though we've been fighting with each other for the last year or so, you know, there's Israel has been torn out politically, socially. We've had really hard time here. Everybody's coming together without differences, uh, helping each other, showing a lot of human kindness. And human kindness is healing. Right? When we see so much trauma, when we see so much hatred, uh, we need to re-believe, to believe again in, in human kindness. So there's a lot of it right now. I got to say that also from the Arab Israelis, they've been shaken as well and they're showing up beautifully uh, as citizens of this country and and, and offering support and uh, offering uh, uh, places to stay in and so that's very comforting as well that's well that's very moving yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i'm wondering also you know, for those of us who aren't in the immediacy or the you know, the proximity, you're under the threats you're under. There's still an enormous amount of emotion, and, you know, understandably. And, and again, it's been quite surprising to see just the extent of emotion uh, that this has aroused. 
even more in some ways than uh, significantly more than the Ukrainian episode, Ukrainian war did for many people. And I'm just wondering, you know, for those of us who aren't on the battlefront or under under at personal risk, what can we do? And I've been trying to think this through. And best I've come up with so far as well. One is to be open to the full extent of the suffering, everyone's suffering, Israel, Palestinian suffering. And second, to stay open to the questions and to avoid, to whatever extent we can, kind of dogmatic certainty, which there's a lot at the moment. My late wife had a great phrase she would say occasionally is that, Trust those who have questions. Beware of those who have answers. Um, yeah. It feels like there's so much push, both internally, psychologically, and socially, to adopt a position in this country and uh, a number of other countries too. You know, to adopt a position, and so, and and that has even come to the extent that people are losing their jobs and livelihoods for expressing divergent opinions, such as. The editor of a very respected uh, scientific magazine, e-journal, was fired for retweeting something from that effectively, you know, drew attention to Palestinian suffering, and you know, ex- multiple examples of this. So, so staying open to questioning questions, try and end to the suffering is seems like some of the principles that I, I have as I've been able to come up with so far. I'm sure there are more, and I'd welcome you, both your input. Well, yeah, on the other side of that, in, in our country, Roger, there's a, a emergence of anti-Semitism around this thing. You know? You know, it's like... Yes. It never ceases to blow my mind. The far left and the far right, they both do the same thing. So why are they fighting each other? You know, let's just get together and be assholes, you know? <laughs> my first impulse is when this happened was to get... Shakar on the podcast. I was like, oh, that's something I can do. You know, seriously, you know, we can reach out. And I think, uh, I think this has been amazing. I think you've been amazing, Shakar, with your, your honesty and courage and your, your insight. Yeah, I think, I think as you guys speak i hear different voices in me the the israeli ethnocentric that wants the world to know about the horrors but also with the deeper shachar voice that just wants peace and i'm struggling like what would be the, what would be the most humane response how how do you hold the rather like you said um, compassion and can hold the, the pain of everyone but still at the same time have a strong stance of, of what's right and what's wrong. What are we agreeing to and what not? I can I can tell about myself that here in Israel we we've agreed for decades. People were living under missiles for decades. I, I that's wrong. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, but I feel like uh, this should be an awakening all over the Western world. I'm, I'm not sure to what. But there's something that needs to be realigned to what we're agreeing in 2023. People should not be living like that anymore. And I'm not sure how 
to still be compassionate, but also be more clear. I, I'm not sure I'm explaining it very well. No, I, I, it makes complete sense to me what you're saying. And I would say go back to the lessons of World War II. What did we do? We won the war, we hung the Nazis, and then we helped rebuild the country. Mm-hmm. You know, that seemed to work. So uh, I don't know how that applies to what we're doing now, but, uh, you know, these guys don't get off the hook. Hamas, you know, for for the death of their own people, for the, the slaughter of the Jews. That has to be, that has to be, that has to be, they have to be taken out. I don't know how to say it politely. Then we got to rebuild our world, you know, start from there. I think hatred can, can get burn itself out at some point, you know. I'm so tired of hating, and it's exhausting. Maybe I'll try something else for a while, you know, and I hope that would, you know. And the other side, side of that coin, John, is that hatred breeds hatred, as we, we all painfully know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that feels like what you voice feels like part of the part of the challenge, Shakar. It's it, it is a challenge to to open to all the suffering and simultaneously feel into what's the what's the right response. You know, what what is called for ethically, practically, etc. At this time. Compassion, as I understand it anyway, does not mean, not necessarily mean weakness. It's often interpreted that as an acknowledgement of suffering and an opening to it. And yes, and what is required. Yeah. Well, I, re- I remember a, a kind of a famous thing on uh, video with Ken Wilber and a Buddhist teacher. And the guy asked, he said, you know, what if you, uh, you know, you're up on the hill and you have Hitler in your, you know, your scope, your sight, right there? And it says, uh, what do you do? And the Buddhist guy goes, you can't, you know, he's Buddha too. You can't shoot him and everything. And and Ken said, you know, say a prayer and pull the trigger, you know, and mm-hmm. send him passion. Yeah. And and for. For spirituality and, and love and religion and compassion to be real, it has to include that. Mm. And that's not happy. There it is, you know. And then maybe someday in, in, in the karmic swirls of the universe, all the hell that Hitler created and all the the hell that generated that will burn off. And there'll be that little boy there, you know, before his father started beating him, before all this stuff, before his ego inflated, before, you know, he became this demigod of horror. And that's what I think happens, you know. I'm realizing that our dialogue, you know, had naively thought, well, we'll, we'll 
have our dialogue and we'll get some clarity on ideas and what to do and so forth. <laughs> what I'm realizing or I'm more feeling actually is, yeah, no, it's leaving us more open to the feeling and to openness and to the horror and the not knowing mm. all simultaneously. And I feel like I come out of this with no greater clarity about you know, intellectual clarity. I've been trying to get intellectual clarity for the last couple of weeks, but I come out with no greater intellectual clarity, but I do come out with a an appreciation of the importance of of being with our experience of of having of looking for and having the privilege of talking with you, Shakar, and and uh, experiencing and resonating with your pain and the and the way you are holding it, and that feels that feels healing in some way and, and very important. Yeah, and, and I would say spiritual clarity too, because everything that we knew right, that we spent our lifetimes trying to figure out, is still valid, okay? That doesn't doesn't take away all the wisdom and stuff. I mean, if you have a spirituality or a religion or a path that only works when everything's going well, I'm like, what the hell good is that? You know, not much. So, yeah, I, I, think, there, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel, but there's a hell of a lot to go through before we get there, but... You know, maybe that distant star is light years away, many light years away, but it's still there. It's still shining. And if we don't, and if we can't bring that forward into the present conditions, well, we better start over again, you know, and, and try to figure it out. But I don't think, I, I think it doesn't invalidate anything that, that I've learned in my deeper moments or that I've learned from, from the spiritual teachers that I've learned from the scriptures, you know, that, uh, of, of various traditions. It's, it's still, you know, you know, you go back to the Bhagavad Gita and it says, <laughs> Hey, you know, the guy, he didn't want to fight. He said, you got to fight, you know, and I'll be with you, you know, but, but this has to happen. Because that's where we're at, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Through what you guys are saying, I, I'm not feeling really clear in my mind as well. Because, uh, yeah, I, and I didn't come with any clear message anyway. But what I'm realizing through what you guys are saying is a big part of my challenge this time is how to remain human. Mm. Like humanity took yeah. a big blow. And uh, somehow your presence with me really allowed me to be really human here today. And you will, yeah. Thank you. And and and, and I thank you for that. That, that. that that's meaningful for me. And I hope you know maybe it influenced someone to accept their humanity. And then there's a gift there. Yeah, and your children are watching you through all this, Shikar. Right? You know they'll remember Papa. And how you are. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Your car is the, this has been very touching. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say before we conclude? Hmm. May all beings be happy, huh? 
Yeah. Yeah, makes me happy. My happy soul. Thank you. And, and yeah, and I love, I love, I love you guys a lot. And uh, everybody who's listening, you know, if you've hung in with us, this has not been easy, but it's not been fake news either. So, uh, no, no, very touching, deep, deep gratitude to you, Shikar, for sharing your humanity and the immediacy of your experience and opening us to to another dimension of what's going on in you and in the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, John. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation Podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.